We're talking about uh, this, this, this theme out there in the world and in the church that needs to be answered so that we can understand God better, so that we can have answers to some of the tough questions about God. Because if we don't understand God, if humans don't understand God, they'll never want to be saved. If Christians don't understand God, they'll never have a strong Christian faith walk. The only way to walk by faith and not by sight, the only way to live your life by faith, the only way to move mountains by faith, have joy by faith, and have all the wonderful promises of God by faith is to know God. If you can't trust God and understand God properly, you will, you will live a distant life from him. You might be saved, you might go to heaven one day, but you'll have a distant earth life until you can understand him. So understanding God is paramount to your faith life. It is impossible to truly trust God unless you can understand him. And so we spend a lot of time to build understanding in people here. Is that safe? Does it help you feel safe to know that you can understand God? It's like, wow. He's not supposed to be mystical and mysterious where no one knows about him. So God works in mysterious ways. You ever heard that before? And they say it very mysteriously, don't they? Like you're in a haunted show or something. It's ridiculous. God's not, he doesn't want to be mysterious. He wants to be known. So he gave us his word and his Holy Spirit so you could know God. So anybody that says that, oh, they have a lot of work to do, meaning they've never taken steps toward him to learn and know. If I said there was a wonderful person behind the door, wouldn't you go out there? If I said God himself is out there, would you like to go meet him? Most of you would say yes. Some of you would be a little intimidated. And to be honest, that's why many unsaved people won't go through the door, because they know if they go through the door to meet the holy creator of the universe, there might be some expectation put on them. All of a sudden, my behavior might be impacted. My self-will might be impacted if I actually go learn from God. And that's why they hide behind tough questions, difficult uh, uh, theology, finding any crack they can slip into and hide, any controversial scripture, they'll use it as a reason why they don't need to come closer to God. It's because people in darkness like to stay in darkness, but not us. We're after him. We're seeking God with the whole heart because in order for him to be found, you have to go after him with your whole heart, not 75%. Titus chapter three Verse four says this, when the kindness and the love of God, our savior toward man appeared. I wanted you to see that. When the kindness and love of God, our savior toward man appeared. Jesus at the cross changed things. Or we could say when Jesus was born, it changed things. The kindness and love of God appeared. What do you mean? It just appeared? I mean, mankind had been going for 4,000 years. You mean God's love and kindness had not yet appeared? That's right. And so that's why when you read the Old Testament, things are a little shaky. Things are a little cloudy. You read a lot of Old Testament scriptures and it's like, man, I don't know if this goodness of God thing is absolute for everybody. 
Because it sure looks like some people don't find his goodness. Well, but, but, but the cross hadn't happened yet. And so you got to realize you can't build your life understanding from the Old Testament. As much as we love it and as much as there's some wonderful pr- truth in there and promises in there, you can't live with your life with an Old Testament perspective. Because the love of God and the kindness of God had not yet appeared through our Savior. And I want you to understand this so that you can begin to value the cross even more. Value your Savior, Jesus Christ, even more. Value being born again into the kingdom even more. Because Old Testament people were not born again into the kingdom. They could not experience God like you and I. Sometimes Christians are so misled, they're like, well, I, I don't know, how come God doesn't appear in fire, bushes of fire anymore? That would be more fun. Oh, oh you're devaluing God within. Old Testament, he couldn't live inside people. Now he can live inside people. You need to get familiar with what that is. Because that's more glorious than a fire or a sea splitting in two. Amen. The sea, people say, well, how come God didn't do what he used to do and split the sea open? You know, we can see that and experience that. Listen. God splitting the sea open did not change the hearts of anybody. Just a couple months later, they were all complaining, how come God didn't leave us in Egypt? Oh, our food, we used to eat filet mignon, and now we're eating manna. We're eating miracle food from heaven, manna and quail. Why didn't you leave us in Egypt where we had delicacies? Delicacies. Delicatessens, buffets. So humans are strange. You think that you want to see a burning bush or a Red Sea open, that it would do something. It won't do anything to your spirit. It'll do something to your flesh and your eyeballs, yes. It won't do anything to your spirit. That's why Jesus and the Holy Ghost are way more special than Moses throwing a rod down and it turning into a snake. So don't get stuck thinking that God's changed his ways. No, his ways got higher and better and bigger, more powerful, more life-changing, more glorious, more worth it than ever before. And it only cost him his son. It only cost the blood of his son. It only cost the suffering of the Savior. That's all it cost. So that you and I, you and I can have glory and experience kindness and love like no one before Christ ever experienced. Hallelujah. Glory before the cross is before faith. Now everybody can have things from God by faith. Before the cross, faith hadn't come yet. So it was only acknowledged with a few people here and there. Out of the millions, just a handful made it into scripture by faith. Now you can all have faith. Now you can all be saved, you can all have peace, you can all have joy, you can all have the Holy Ghost. Old Testament, before the Holy Ghost lived in us, only a few hand-selected men and women had the Holy Spirit in order to do some things for the nation. Now you can all have the Holy Spirit to do some things for your family, to do some things for your church, to do some things for the person down the street. You all have the Holy Ghost for yourself to comfort you. They had no comfort before the cross. So you have to understand that big things changed after the cross. The unsaved world doesn't understand that. So a lot of their opinions come from the fact that God penalized and punished sin in the Old Testament very swiftly. 
So things changed. Humans were not experiencing love of God and kindness from God before Christ. Have I said that enough? Have I said that enough? Okay. Now, to, in a moment, when we're, when we're eating lunch together, if you hear a comment from somebody that's not right, you stop them. Before God could eradicate sin, he had to punish it. Before God was father, things were different. Now we get the kindness and the love of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can't read in the Old Testament, you can't read two pages without running into some judgment and punishment and wrath. You can't read one prophet, you can't read a, one page out of the prophets without running into this harshness from God to penalize sin. But the cross eradicated sin. You need to value Jesus Christ in a huge way. Hallelujah. And what happens is, this is where you begin to build scriptural logic rather than just opinions or human logic. You know, I remember a story Joni told. She was on a plane with, sitting next to a young girl, 12 years old, and sharing Christ with her. And the young girl was quick to say, you know, I don't, I don't want anything to do with God. Well, how come? Well, because I witnessed my, my neighbor's five-year-old child getting uh, killed by a car out in front of her house. Car ran her over, killed her. I don't want any, anything to do with a God that says he's good, but yet he lets a girl die like that. What are you going to do with questions like that? What are you going to do with statements like that? We need to have some answers for people. Well, there's an answer for it. And it's not because God just allowed it for some reason or defaulted. Uh, he allowed it. You know, he, he's sometimes good and he's sometimes bad. My, my dad tells us, told a story when he was a kid, his dad passed away when he was 13. And he remembers this, my dad, till, the, till his last days, he remembered and he told me that at the funeral, somebody comes up to my dad and, and says, uh, your dad was a good man and God only wants good people in heaven with him. And that's why he took your dad. Okay, that's garbage logic, right? That's garbage logic. That's not why his dad passed away. There's other reasons, and that's why we're trying to cover all the real reasons, because that's not a reason that God looks around to find good people that he needs in heaven. So he can have another flower in his garden or another angel in heaven, and he takes the good people. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's just made up garbage, but it can harm people. Now, it didn't harm my dad. He, 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 he knew as a 13-year-old, that didn't make total sense. You know, kids, kids know, I mean, kids aren't stupid. So don't try to lead them with stupid logic. Don't try to hide them with stupid logic. So my dad knew that wasn't right, but he did remember it. Why did he remember it? Because that's a big deal. So you got to be careful what you say. We need to be careful how we present God. There's a lot of correcting that we're going to have to do for people in our lives so that they don't taint everybody else. It doesn't take long. You go look at your insurance policy for your house or your car, and there's always a category in there called acts of God. You're covered for all these things as long as it's called an act of God or except for acts of God. Whatever the language is, they're, they're trying to blame uh, weather 
and un, unexplained things on acts of God. Is it acts of God? A tree falls on a house and kills the family? Is it an act of God? A storm, a hurricane, a tornado, anything like that? A flood, acts of God? That's what insurance thinks. You need to know that those aren't acts of God. People think that God's in charge of all the weather. No, the picnic wouldn't have got rained on if that was the case. You need to understand this, that that's not acts of God. Those are acts of a natural earth system. The earth has wind and rain for reasons. And, and part of it is just to, to, uh, un, to, to let out, pin up energy. That's why hurricanes happen. Just too much energy. So we need wind. It distributes air. It distributes pollen and seeds. And thank God for the pollen and the seeds, right? There's a reason for it. It helps things happen in the earth. The only time we complain is when the winds are too hard, right? So we're going to have to recognize, no, no, this is a result of an earth system that's no longer perfect. It is an earth system. It's just no longer perfect like it used to be in the Garden of Eden. But let's not blame it on God. I remember uh, years ago when the stock market crashed in 2008, one of our church members' father, who, wasn't, who lives in another state, made this comment to his son. And uh, he said, yep, yep, God's testing me. He crashed the stock market to test my faith. What? You're saying that he, he caused millions of do- billions of dollars of wealth to be lost just for you? That's pretty prideful, don't you think? My, my friend knew better. He said, no, no, dad, dad, God did not test you. The stock market just crashed. You're going to have to use your faith to get out. God's not testing you though. And his dad said, oh yeah, you're right. Well, then why'd you say that? I'll tell you why. It's because people repeat stupidity all the time. Just unscriptural things. God helps those that help themselves. Sounds wonderful, but it's not in the Bible. I even heard a a famous Houston pastor making this statement. He said he got in a traffic jam here in Houston and he knew God was testing him with this traffic. So God caused all this traffic just for you, buddy. No, I'll tell you why there's a traffic jam. Too many cars going through one spot at one time. Don't blame that on God. And if you challenge people, they'll usually admit, well, you're right. Then stop saying as if God has a hand in all of your calamity. In every challenge that God put it there. No, 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 no. What God's doing, he's not putting speed bumps in your pathway. Just so your head, when you go over them. No, no, no. He's preparing you ahead of time for all the speed bumps in life that you're going to have. He's already given you all sorts of instructions about patience. He's not trying to make you patient with traffic. He's given you scripture so that you can become a patient hearted Christian fruits of the spirit, just coming out, even in traffic. Glory to God. I got extra time to pray. Your attitude is changed by instruction, not by traffic. 
Hallelujah. Or when it's your time to die, you're going to die. Everybody's got a day. Everybody's got a death day. You can't do anything about it. When it's your time to go, you're going. God's got it all planned. Whenever you can't change your day. Hey, that's wonderful. If we were all just uh, pinballs in a pinball machine or just computer programmed. But that's not the way life is. The Bible doesn't say that God has planned your death, death day. Amen. Did you know that? Now, I would say, since he's omniscient, he knows your death day, but he's not making sure that comes to pass. The scripture that has been mistranslated, misused to say that God's appointed your death day is not true. The scripture actually says in Hebrews that he's a, it's, it is a appointed unto men to die once, and after that, the judgment. Every human's only going to die once, and then you'll stand before Jesus somehow, or before the great white throne. The bottom line is, you only get to live one life. No reincarnation and no do-overs. If you had one wish, what would it be? It'd be to do it over. No, no, you don't get any do. One life, no do-overs, no reincarnation, no second life, no third life, no translation into a different world. One life, then you're judged. That's why you have to receive Jesus and live unto God now. One time, one chance. Even, even in the Old Testament, there was a man of God named Hezekiah, a king. And God sent a prophet and said, go tell him to get his house in order because he's going to die. He, he had gotten sick. And Hezekiah heard the news from the prophet. And he didn't say, the will of the Lord be done. No, Hezekiah said, oh, I don't want to die. Lord, let me live another, let me live longer, longer, longer. And before the prophet even left the property, he sent him back in. He said, go tell him I give him 15 more years. So by faith, you could change your death day. By faith, number one, you can change it by how you live and, and, and faith that you have and closeness to God and the blessing of the Lord will, and, and the angel of the Lord. All these promises, if you want to live long, make sure you walk closely with God. And at the end, you can always talk to God about it. So let's not just act like God's this uh, computer AI in the sky. <laughs> he is intelligent. He's just not artificial. Uh, Lord, if it's your will heal me. And if not, I'll take it. That doesn't make sense. Does it either? He's good and he'll answer your prayer or he's, or, he's, or you, you, you'll never know, or you just guess. And that's where many Christians are. They're just guessing. They don't know for sure. Atheists have a atheists have it easier when they get sick than some Christians. Christians are like, y'all pray for me. If it's God's will to heal me. And if not, I'll just go through it. You're double-minded. You're not getting anything from the Lord. Atheists are different. Atheists are like, I'm going to beat this thing. Y'all get in with me. I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to kill this thing. We're going to win. I'm going to make it through. Christians are all confused about God's will. Well, I don't know. See, that's, it doesn't make sense, does it? Once you know God, you know he's good. And you may have a hard time hooking up with his goodness, but he's still good. So don't start doubting whether or not God's will is good for your life. It doesn't make sense. 
Christians turn it into this game. You know, it's this game. Well, you know, as long as God's in on it with me, then I'll take it and expect it to be from him. You know, he tests me and I pass it. That's the game we play. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. Romans is a very important book for us. Uh, it, it unveils probably the most important New Testament book if you, if you had to only have one because it covers everything. It covers life before Christ. It covers why we are saved by faith. Then it explains faith. It goes through some instruction that most of the books don't go through. It's very important that you learn Romans, even though it, it is one of the deeper books. If you had a deep, if you had a deep book, it's, pretty, it's one of the top two deep books. But you need it. You need to understand it. You got to read it until you understand it. So uh, let's talk about the number one reason for all bad things. So we got five categorical reasons. Uh, the number one reason, the main reason for any bad thing, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen at all? Why does God allow suffering at all? If he's so good and kind and loving, why didn't he just fix it all? And here's the reason why. Here's the general reason why it exists the way it does. Why does suffering get to coexist with a good loving God, with Jesus, with saints, with power, with authority? And here's the number one reason. It's because uh, God gave authority and responsibility to humans in the earth. And he did it through Adam and Eve. And he said, this is your earth. I want you to subdue this earth, multiply, replenish this earth. This is your earth. I give you dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Your earth. Here you go. Have fun. Garden of Eden. Perfect. Tend the garden. That's all you got to do. Eat, every, eat of every tree except the one. This is your earth. And then when they sinned, they basically closed the door on themselves. He said, if you eat of this tree, you'll die that day. They didn't die physically, they died spiritually. And the angel kicked them out of the Garden of Eden and locked the gate, put angels at the gates to the Garden of Eden so nobody can go back in. So it's a realm of glory in the earth that we can't experience anymore. That's the main reason why bad things happen. Romans chapter 5 right here. Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Death has spread in this earth because of that original sin. That's the main reason why any bad thing happens. In our, in our book, God, Why, we call it the glitch. It's like there's a glitch in the computer. It's like the computer program is wonderful, except it glitches sometimes. And glitches are, are frustrating, aren't they? How many of you love your phone until it glitches? How many of you love the computer until it glitches? How many love your car until the computer glitches? We love everything until it glitches. It's good. Life is good, right? Life is amazing and wonderful and good, well, except when it's not. Well... That's because of this original sin. Because death passed to us, we, we now have death. That means all bodies will have to die. We weren't created to die. We weren't supposed to die. No human was ever supposed to die. But because of the sin, death spread to everybody and our body has to die now. It, it, it corrupts. It digresses. 
It's got a peak of growth and then all of a sudden it's going down quickly. That's just the way things are because of sin. Now there's coming a day when that ends. Because of Jesus Christ, God redeemed us and he's made promises to start this whole thing over. First of all, once your glorified body takes root, there's no more sin. There's no more temptation. There's no more lust. You've overcome the devil completely. And we live for eternity in that condition. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth eventually. And then there's no more corruption whatsoever. But you need to be, you need to be okay with the main reason why bad things happen is because of the glitch. There's a glitch in the matrix. There's a glitch at the intersection. Two cars tried to cross at the same time. Oh, it's not supposed to happen, but accidents do happen under this system. And so the, as Christians, we have to find all of the secrets and the answers and the solutions to avoid problems. Can I avoid some accidents? Absolutely. If I can follow the Holy Spirit, he knows what's about to happen. He can help me. Angels are here, but are they activated? Is my life in a place, is my faith in a place that actually activates angels and allows them to, to work in my life or are they bound? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Are your angels loosed to help? Or has your words bound them from helping? And all of a sudden now, you got to be kidding me. You mean I have a part to play in this? Yeah. So, the ramifications of this whole thing are, are very substantial, okay? Not only did we get locked out of the Garden of Eden, thorns and thistles grew. There's some strange things that happened. All things twisted and wrong came into the earth because of sin. Right. Wasn't God's original plan. So you have to be okay with the fact that God's original plan did not come to pass. The, this glitch, the, 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 the entrance of sin and death is the reason for defective chromosomes in a person's body. Right. Why does he allow birth defects? Oh man, he didn't really allow them. It's a result of this fallen system. Right. And, and I want you to know this, God, God hates the glitch. He hates sin and death. He hates the glitch. He hates the fact that he had to put the curse in the earth. He hates it. He hates it when people have an accident. He hates suffering. He hates sadness. He hates sorrow. He hates calamity. He hates darkness. He hates death. He hates it just like you hate it. There's a reason why you hate it. It's because you're like God. Because you're in the, made in the same image and essence of God. We hate death. Even if it's a person that lives out their full days in the 80s or 90s or 100 years old, we hate it when they die. It makes no sense. So don't try to pull God in and blame God. He hates this as much as we do. He's, he hates having to watch. He hates having to stand by and watch the devil destroy somebody's life. He hated to see Adam and Eve fall to the serpent. He hated it. And he hates it when his children don't know enough to connect with him in faith for safety or deliverance or salvation. Don't you think he hates it when sinners go to hell? Yes. 
Don't you think he hates to see a sinner who rejected Christ have to go to hell? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's so holy and good and loving. He, he hates it when people go to hell. Matter of fact, the scripture says he has no delight, no pleasure in the death of him who dies. That's the truth from the Old Testament, absolutely. Now, man has hurt himself with inventions, haven't we? Like, I don't think there was a whole lot of uh, horse accidents where people died running into each other. Not near as much as cars. And the damage was not probably nearly as severe. So we hurt ourselves with inventions like planes and cars and bombs and gunpowder and internet. Internet's helped a lot of things. It's also harmed a lot of things. So every invention has to be handled with care. Every human invention has to be handled with great, great wisdom or it'll get twisted. Praise the Lord. So when we say, how come God allowed this person to get hurt, uh, but not that person? It's a trick question. It's not that God uh, actively allowed. He did not decide, I'm going to allow this one to die and this one to live. That's not the way he looks at it. He didn't automatic, God didn't automatically stop the first human sin. He didn't automatically stop Cain from killing Abel. Looks like he's allowing earth life to do what it wants, doesn't it? He'll get involved sometimes when people call on him, but by and large, he lets earth life do what it wants, doesn't he? Why would we think if he didn't automatically stop Cain and Abel that he would automatically stop every other suffering? Praise the Lord. There's another scripture in the Old Testament people, people stumble over. It says, I, the Lord, create evil, darkness. People are like, see, see, he created the evil. Well, not because uh, that was his plan or his will. He, let's say it this way. He created Lucifer. Lucifer was perfect and holy and good at first, but then Lucifer decided to go evil. So you can say that God created evil, but not actively. He created Lucifer. He created only good. But within good is also the ability to choose evil. And if we didn't have a choice to choose evil, we would be robots. And God doesn't want robots. He, He wanted our choices to be significant and meaningful. That's why everybody has a choice to choose Christ. Why didn't God just appear and save everybody? It just makes it all uh, 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 almost completely less honorable. If he was to control you and make you go to heaven, what if he made all the people go to heaven who didn't want God in their life? There's a reason why God allows the choice system. And you got to be okay with that. It's like if I was God, I wouldn't let any of this happen. Well, if you were God, you would. If you had full omniscience like he does and understands the depths of human hearts, you would certainly let people have their own choices. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, We can say it this way because some people look at, okay, well, if I become a Christian, then all of a sudden, uh, God, everything's fine. Well, uh, 
it's not Christian versus non-Christian that experience good things. Because the Bible actually says that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's a strange one. Matter of fact, let's turn there. Go to, where did I say to go already? We're in Romans. Go to Romans 2. We'll get to that scripture in just a second. It's more inside the house versus outside the house. We can say inside the house, inside the fortress of God, there's blessing and protection. Outside the fortress of God or the house of God, there's curse and wrath and evil and suffering. And so what you want to do is get saved and learn the truth so you can come in the house. But if you're going to live outside the house, there's no promise. There's bullets flying, arrows flying, there's dragons slaying, there's all sorts of stuff. Now at VBS time, we're going to kill the dragon. They painted a dragon so that they can kill it. So outside the fortress is where unsaved people live and where rebellious Christians live their life. You can walk outside of the blessing and the protection in the house of God anytime you want. He doesn't want you to. He's trying to help you not. Uh, And then some people probably never enter that place. They believe in Jesus from outside the house. They never actually experience the goodness of God because of all the different reasons why, which we're going through them, okay? We've already gone through one, which is lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And if y'all would listen faster, we would finally get to that today again. I mean, you have to also ask the question, why do good things happen to bad people? Is it good gets good and bad gets bad? That makes more sense to us. That's the merit system. That's how we have to order our natural lives. Good gets promoted, bad gets fired. Well, look at Romans 2 here. Now, Romans 2 is setting up the evil that people have gone through and God allowed them to give themselves over to uncleanness, etc. And then it says here, verse 3, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God will be good to evil people, so that they will repent. And that's the answer. How come God's good to these? They aren't even going to church. They aren't even saved. How come he's good? His goodness is supposed to lead you to repentance. There's a a lot of space to repent that he gives everybody. He gives sinners space to repent so they can be saved. He'll let an evil person live to the ripe old age of whatever to give them chance after chance after chance to be saved. And the same thing for Christians. He'll give you space to repent from all of your shortcomings and all of your issues and sins and trespasses. He'll give you space to repent. Don't abuse that space, but you got space to repent. And the one thing that draws you to God so that you will repent is his goodness. It's not really the threat that draws you. Some people, yes, some people, the threat of hell is enough to keep them from sinning. But for most, it's the goodness that causes you to come to God and turn back to repent. Praise the Lord. I'll just quote Matthew 5. It says, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
And he's saying how you treat people. You want to you be good to sinners too. You want to give mercy to everybody. God gives mercy to everybody. Go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, we'll start there. Are we, you know, we can't, some people do get miracles. Some people get miracles, actual miracles. Some people don't get miracles. And it's not just flip of a coin. It's not just accidental when people get miracles. There's reasons. Are we going to imply that there's no reasons why miracles happen? That it's all up to God? Once you read the Bible, you realize it's not all up to God whether miracles happen or not. In the Old Testament, you see it over and over again. God needed obedient people to believe him and obey him and then act accordingly, specifically, whatever he told them to do. He told Abraham some commands, get out from your kindred and go. He told Moses, take this rod and throw it on the ground. Take this rod and stretch forth your hand. He told Gideon, don't take a huge army, cut them out, 300, that's it. He told the children of Israel, march around Jericho. God had, to do miracles in the Old Testament, God needed people who believed him, who obeyed him, who stepped out in faith. And all those people, or a lot of those people, you can find them in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Faith Hall of Fame to see what faith can do. Not just what God can do, but what faith, we know God can do anything. But until somebody has faith, it won't happen. We can't, we can't ignore scripture. Okay, so Luke chapter five. This is when the men brought their uh, paralyzed friend to the Lord. Verse 17, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, there were Pharisees, teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem by the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then behold, men brought on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they couldn't find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. And then verse 24 at the, at the end, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. He forgave his sins and healed him when he saw their faith. Look at verse 20 again. When he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, when he saw their faith. First of all, they had to have faith. Then they had to act on their faith. And then when they got to the house, it was too full. They had to really act on their faith. They had to go an extra step of faith to get through. Then they had to tear the roof open and, and take a risk at offending everybody, being embarrassed. And then finally he saw their faith and he gave them a miracle. When God sees your faith, he'll do a miracle for you. And if he hasn't done the miracle, he hasn't seen your faith. Because I dare to say, every time true faith is seen, every time somebody has true faith and acts on it, it is seen in the spirit realm. Angels can see it, demons can see it, the devil can see it, and certainly God and Jesus can see it. And as soon as God and Jesus see true faith in the spirit realm, it's like an explosion. It's like, it's like boom, I see something, there's a light shining, woo, 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 go do something there, go do something there. So, so that's the reason why good things happen. That's the reason why miracles happen. Not just because God finally had a good, it was in a good mood. Jesus, you're in a good mood today? I don't know, I'm kind of tired. I don't know, maybe we can do something for somebody. I don't know. That's how people act, that God has to be in some good mood. 
Other people come up with, well, you know, he's got a lot more busier, but a lot more important things to do than look at me and think about me and heal my thing, do my thing. It's just garbage. It's just people that don't want to take responsibility to believe God for anything. That's really what generates all of these lies about God. It's people that don't want to take responsibility for themselves, for them to seek God or not. They don't want to even read a Bible. They don't want to read a page. They don't want to have to believe something that they can't see. They don't want relationship with an unseen God. Look at chapter seven. That's why we spend most of our time talking about faith, talking about believing God so that things can happen in your life. It's not an accident. Sometimes it looks like an accident, still not an accident. And if it is an accident, if, it, if a good thing happened to you kind of by accident, it's one of those, it's God's goodness that's trying to alert you to him. But you can't wait for those. If you need, a, if you need an answer, you gotta be able to go get to God. This is when the woman came and anointed Jesus' feet with oil and everybody got mad at her. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table began to say to themselves, who is this that forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What saved her? Was it God that saved her? Was it Jesus that saved her? Well, of course, God does the spiritual work. Of course, Jesus is the one that does the spiritual accepting. It was her faith, though, that saved her. It was her faith that triggered the miracle. Look at chapter 8. This is when the woman with the issue of blood came. She said within herself, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. And so she pressed through the crowd, verse 46, and touched him. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. I, per I perceived power going out from me. When the woman saw she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What made her well? Now we know that the power of God made her well. We know Jesus made her well. We know the Holy Spirit made her well. We know that power, virtue went out of Jesus, made her well. But he said, your faith did it. Your faith is necessary to make you well. So when people say, well, I'm just waiting on God to heal me. No, no, he's waiting on your faith to heal you. What you're really waiting on is for you to start believing it. All you're saying, what you're saying is wrong. Well, I'm just waiting on God to heal. That's wrong. Wrong way to think, wrong way to talk. You want to be scriptural about it, say, well, I'm waiting on my faith to get there. I'm waiting on my doubt and unbelief to get out of me. And then you realize, oh, wait a second. Why would I wait on that? Why don't I just get there? It's you waiting on. It's not God. You're not waiting on God. You're waiting on yourself. Come on, you got to be real honest with yourself. There's been times it's like, you know, I know I hadn't, I hadn't really attempted to believe God for that. I haven't even read a scripture, hadn't even really, I hadn't put myself out there to go find God about it. And so I'm willing to say that's the reason. I'm not going to blame God. Look at chapter 8. 
verse 50 or verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. J. Iris had come to Jesus saying, my daughter's about to die. Come help her. He was on his way and the lady with the issue of blood interrupted and got healed. Verse 48, and he said to her, oh no, verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. Notice he put that little statement in there. Don't be afraid, that's good. Only believe and she'll be made well. If you want your child to be made well, you're going to have to only believe. Only believe. You got to go a little further and just only believe. Praise the Lord. So you can't, you, you can't suggest there's nothing behind why, why miracles happen only for some. Look at Luke chapter 4. I'm skipping Luke 13. Blessed are those that hear the word of God and keep it. So there's an element of keeping God's word, hearing God's word, keeping God's word. But here read this, Luke chapter 4 verse 23 this is when he was rejected in his hometown because they saw him as only the carpenter's son, Mark chapter six. But Luke says, says this, he says, you'll surely say this proverb to me. This is Luke 4, 23. Physician, heal yourself, whatever we've, heard, whatever we've heard done in Capernaum do in your country. And he said, surely I say to you, no prophets accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. There was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Why? Why filled with wrath? Well, here's why. Mark 6 says that he couldn't do any mighty miracles there because of their unbelief, and he marveled at their unbelief. Remember that? Same, this is the same account. And now he's given them some examples. Only, only one widow got the blessing during the drought. Doesn't God love all people? Yeah. But, but when your heart has to be in the right condition and, he, and he'll choose you. There was many lepers, but only Naaman the Syrian got healed. What's he saying? He's saying out of all the lepers, there was only one that called upon him in faith. And that happened because uh, Naaman was the, the commander of the army and the Syrians and his wife, they had, they had captured an Israelite woman who was their maidservant. And the maidservant told the wife, hey, if, if he would call it, if only there was a prophet from Israel here. And then she said, there's a prophet in Israel if you'll go. So the king, they got the kings involved and, and they sent word that, hey, Elisha, the prophet, uh, Naaman wants to be healed. And so Naaman came to him in faith, came to him in faith, got, got horses and, and, his, and his squad and, and came to, to Elisha, the prophet. And remember the story, Elisha said, go dip yourself in the river Jordan seven times. Remember that? And then Naaman got upset about that. He said, there's cleaner waters to dip in. You know, I'm an honorable person. Send me to a clean river. He almost missed his miracle because people rationalize themselves right out of what's needed. Quote a scripture for a thousand times? That sounds ridiculous. Can I just go up to the front? Sometimes, yes, but don't put that expectation on what you think's supposed to happen. 
Sometimes you've got to obey the instructions from the Holy Spirit, from a preacher, from a minister, from a believer. So, somehow you're going to have to do something by faith, not according to what you think. Well, I want to go to church and I, I want to go and just sit in my chair and be healed. Well, that's good. I want you to expect that. But, but then if that didn't work a couple times, make sure you come up. Well, I don't want to fall. Okay. Uh, well, I hope you don't fall then. People, you can't come with your own expectation. You might miss the miracle. So Naaman almost missed it, but his servant said, if he told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? Can't you go do this elementary thing? Okay, I'll go do it. And he dips in the river, nothing happens. He dips in the river, nothing happens. Dips in the river, nothing happens. Six, five, six, nothing happened. Then seven times and he comes out clean. Many lepers, only one got healed. That's how faith works. I said, that's how faith works. It's not pushing a button. It's not just some button. Just go by the wall, push the button, and you got your miracle. It's not Jesus walking by you and just snapping his fingers for everybody. It's something of the heart. When he sees it, you'll get your miracle. But how many people don't know this? How many people live their life just thinking God's in control of all of it, has no human element to it at all, when there's a huge human element to get a real miracle from God, for God to intervene into this evil world and stop it, fix it, reverse it, save you from it, there's got to be a human element that you follow. And that human element is faith toward God in each specific arena of life. Well, if God loved me, how come he lets me go through this financial, this financial suffering for so long? Because somehow you've missed the principles of how to do money right. Somehow you've not learned how to trust your heavenly father properly. Matthew chapter six says, if you trust your heavenly father, you will never worry. Don't you even think about worry. Don't you say one word about worrying. But, but people don't know that. So they just throw it all into the bucket of, well, whatever God's will is, I guess this is what he wanted. See how without knowledge, people come up with just ridiculous answers. We can't allow it. It's not fair to God, it's not fair to Jesus, not fair to the cross, not fair to everybody else. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I mean, it's like, well, you can, people are like, well, how come he didn't help all those people? Look, you can get a little upset about that at first. You can get a little, you can question that for just a half a moment until you get the answer. And then you got to say, okay. Bottom line is you can't ignore the fact that there's tons of human heart elements that go into play here. We're talking humility. Hum humility is necessary if you're going to get anything from God because he resists the proud. I mean, simple as that. Naaman would have missed it if he would have stayed in pride. Humility, honesty. There's something about the integrity of our hearts. God knows it. Our hearts desire something. You got, you don't ever underestimate the power of a, of a truly desirous heart. Some people half desire, some people wholly desire. And that's a distinguishing factor in who gets a miracle. You got to really want it. Full trust in God. It's not the need that moves God. The elementary view, when you first come at it, it's like, well, there's a need. Why didn't he fix it? It's not the need that moves God. It's connection with a human that's in step with him. 
I mean, really, we all needed Adam and Eve to not sin. Why couldn't God have just stopped them from sinning? Because it's not need that moves him. It's a human connection of someone who's in tune with him, believing him, trusting him, obeying him, having a heart just like him. And then boom, he, that's it. That's faith right there. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. You know, hopefully by now we've answered a lot of questions and we've also opened the door for a lot of other questions, haven't we? Don't you now have some extra questions? You should. You know, a, a, an interested person, an interested mind wants to know the truth. Well, there's more Bible to it and we need to cover all those answers so that you can live your life feeling comfortable. It's no good when you have a thousand question marks in the sky. Praise God. So number one reason why all bad things happen is what? The glitch. Okay, the glitch. That's what we call it here. You don't like that, then you can call it something else. It's the glitch. Original sin. The earth is off tilt. I mean, anybody ever play pinball machines? Do they still have pinball machines? They probably don't glitch like they used to. The old-fashioned pinball machines, if you accidentally got too excited and bumped it, all the thing was, all the flappers would stop flapping and the ball would just fall. And it's like, oh man, you got to go reset the thing. It tilted. It's like when somebody gets, don't touch it. You're going to mess up my game. The earth went off tilt. And all of a sudden, bad things have happened. Second reason we covered it already is lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people go into captivity because they have no knowledge. Without knowledge of God, think of how many people out there have, have never heard an hour-long teaching on this. Think of all the people out there that have been com taught, taught completely wrong, that they, they blame it all on God's providence. That's the fancy word to say God's divine will. There is an element of providence and God's divine will that you don't know, but not the stuff that's been recorded. When it comes to natural life and even spiritual life, he's unveiled the mystery to us and told us how to escape suffering. In the Old Testament, he had the blessing that if you will obey everything, then the blessing will come upon you and overtake you. And if you don't obey everything, there's the curse. In the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ and great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That by these great and precious promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature. He's got solution now where every single person through Christ can escape evil. The only thing you can escape is your body does have to die, but it doesn't have to die sick. Amen. Doesn't have to die sick. You could just go in your sleep after, after knowing there's a way to know when your death day is. You can tell the family after dinner, this is it. See y'all in heaven. They'll think you're crazy. They'll beg you to stay. And all you got to know is, am I, is my time up? Is my, have I fulfilled God's will for my life? Goodbye. But you got to know things, right? You got to know God. 
way, way back before we were pastoring, uh, I had a cousin who called me. She had cancer uh, and she called for prayer. She knew I was praying for the sick and she called me for prayer and I commanded the cancer to leave her and it left her. She went back to the doctor, no cancer. Well, her brother, my other cousin, he got so excited. He started telling all the family for the next two or three years, every time a family member would get sick, he would tell them to call me. So I was getting phone call after phone call, people calling me to get healed. And I had, there was a, there was one cousin who was like 75 or late seventies year, years old who had this, uh, heart deformity or condition. I can't remember the detail of it, but I prayed for him over the phone. I remember the power of God touched him over the phone and he got totally healed, totally healed. And so he started telling all the family that there was a a cousin that would pray for the sick and people. How did that happen? It's because somebody knew somebody that knew somebody. It's because somebody that knew a cousin who knew God. And then somebody else knew of the same cousin of the same cousin. See, see, without knowledge, people perish. It's important that this church be a place where people can get healed and delivered. You need to have confidence in that. And if you're not confident in that, well, just try it anyway. Drag somebody in here. Tell them to come. Put some effort. Put some emphasis. Go, go, go find Elisha. Go to the church. They'll pray for you. Tell them. Plant a seed. That's how healing works. You plant a seed. Now they know. Now there's something that they can work, that God can work with. If you don't tell them that something could happen to them, they'll never come. If you don't tell them they could be saved by God, they'll never get saved. So you got to plant seed. See, these are, this is how things happen. Think of all the calamity that people face and they never had a right seed planted in their heart. They never had any hope put in there. They never had a reason to go after God. They didn't know God would save people from calamity. Until somebody tells them. So are you going to tell them? Yes. Are you going to be one that interrupts their, their false logic and say, wait a second. No, 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 no. You're wrong. You're wrong. I don't remember the scripture, but I do know this. If you call on God, he'll save you. Amen. If you go after Jesus, he'll heal you. If you come to church, the joy will come. Amen. Life will change. You'll be delivered. Whatever the case, we've got to give people knowledge out there if they're going to have a chance. Isn't that exciting? Hallelujah. This was back when I gave my life to the Lord and went into the, I left my career, went into the ministry. This was the very first message that really came in my heart. And so I was studying it and getting excited about it and recognizing, man, this is what the world needs. The world doesn't know these things. Nobody knows these things. How come nobody knows these things? I didn't know that a lot of people knew these things because everybody in my life, except for my parents, didn't know these things. I'm like, people got to know this stuff. And so I, my first message I preached uh, in my office, I had, I had gone to, I didn't have a place to preach. I didn't have a pulpit, didn't have uh, any kind of formal ministry, but I knew people needed this message. And on the street, you don't have time to preach at all. Uh, and so I went to Best Buy and bought me a karaoke machine. And, and then I went and bought a, a cassette duplicator. Do you know what a cassette is? My apologies to the younger generations for being so old. The cassette was before the CD, and it's where audio was recorded. So I bought a cassette duplicator from a company. One would make three. One copy could make three copies. And so I bought that in my karaoke machine to record my preaching. And I sat down at my desk in my little office in the house, 
And I preach this message. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And I preached it and taught it, the whole thing. And then I duplicated hundreds and thousands of those cassette tapes and gave them away. I remember I put them on, I put them in a bag and put them, hung them on every door in my neighborhood. That was my first step. It's like, I don't know. They may never listen to it, but they got a chance. And if they don't listen to it, they'll get to heaven and they'll question God. Say, I never had a chance. And God will say, remember that little bag with that little cassette on there (laughs) and that little gospel track inside the bag, you had a chance. And I used to hand it out at the gas station. Anybody that would, anybody that would look at me in the eye, I'd give them one. And so that tended, tended to be the first book that I wrote too, God, why? why? It's God, why? It's not why God. I really don't care, but people say, the book, why God? No. I wanted people to recognize this is us looking up, questioning, God, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen at all? Why does suffering still exist Amen? The good news is one day it won't exist. One day there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears. But until then, we got to deliver people. We got to educate them. We got to deliver them. God is an educator. Always has been. I'm thankful he's an educator. He has educated us. He has given what we need to understand life and him. Are you with me in it? Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.